turn your Bibles to First Peter. First Peter chapter one. We are beginning a new year, a new season, a new church, and a new book. And to take a look at First Peter, um, I've been reading through and studying First Peter for several weeks. I guess a couple of months now, and I'm I'm excited about being able to walk through this book and walk through this letter with us. I think it's going to be uh, beneficial beneficial to our individual walks with the Lord, but it, it's beneficial to our corporate walk with the Lord as well. So. If you found First Peter, I'm going to read and begin by reading the first two verses, and then we'll introduce this book uh, as we walk through this afternoon. If you would stand as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord this afternoon. Um, first Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the, of the dis, dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for just your word, for the truth of your word, for the beauty of your revelation, for your grace and your heart to speak into your church that we may grow, ultimately may grow in likeness of you. And so as we begin this book, as we spend today introducing it, I would just pray that you would begin to draw us to you and to make us into the image of your son. It's in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you all. Welcome to First Peter. As I said, I'm excited about digging into this book. It could be a few weeks, but most likely it'll be a few months. Uh, today I want to introduce uh, us to the author, I want to introduce us to the recipients of this letter, and I want to over, oh, introduce us to some overall themes of this letter, some primary themes that I pray we build on every single week as we walk through it together. Peter is our author. Most of us know something of Peter. Uh, outside of Jesus himself, Peter is probably the most prominent person in all of the Gospels. Uh, Peter is also the central figure of the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts as the Gospel spreads to the world through the apostles, through the disciples, through the early church after the ascension of Jesus. Peter was a fisherman. Again, most of us know that. He also was known for his uncanny ability to speak before he thought about what he should say. At one point, Jesus even referred to him as the devil because his thoughts were of the world and the things of the world and not on heavenly things. After Pentecost and the birthing of the church through the filling of the Holy Spirit, it was Peter who stood most prominently and preached most boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is especially true as he preached to the Jews and to the Jewish leaders calling them out and calling them to repentance as the ones who, he says on a couple of occasions, murdered Jesus. You know, we're familiar with the Apostle Paul and most of his writings, and we're 
are especially familiar with the persecutions that Paul endured as he preached throughout the Roman world, taking the gospel to new cities, taking the gospel to new peoples. Many times this led to being and imprisoned, left for dead, run out of town, banned from synagogues, and so much more. Peter experienced all of these and never left Jerusalem. Very early, we find Peter, and usually John, in prison, beaten, ordered to remain silent about Jesus. This is Peter. But by the time we get to this letter, he is an older and wiser Peter. He's a much older and much wiser Peter. Peter's probably in Rome as he writes this letter. We assume that Mark is still with him uh, as he writes this. Mark, the gospel writer. The gospel was written much earlier, probably 20 years or so earlier than this letter was written. But Mark was likely still in and around Rome. We know that Mark and Paul reconciled, and so Mark became an incredibly important person in the early church, especially to the two most prominent leaders of this early movement in Peter and Paul. Peter was probably still a free man at the time of his writing this letter. We know at some point he was arrested, imprisoned, and tradition tells us that in the late 60s A.D., he was crucified upside down by order of Rome. <coughs> That's our author. Peter is writing, the recipient is writing to a region of churches that is spread out over five cities. It's not known if Peter ever visited these cities or if he just got word of their suffering the suffering that they were enduring and chose to write to them instructions for godly living in a time of rejection. The five cities in the region that make them up, we mentioned them just a moment ago, may have had a population of a million people or more. So while the letter is addressed to the people in these cities, we see from the introduction that it is intended to be a letter to circulate throughout the towns the cities, and the regions. And in this nature, it is a universal letter. Throughout this letter, there are three <coughs> major themes that I want us to see, and I'm going to introduce us to those today, but I want us to see these all the way through our whole study. The first is our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Ultimately, our identity is the triune nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But particularly, it's in Christ. Second is our new nature. Our new nature is now one of holiness. We are called to be holy. And the third is our context. Where are we supposed to live as people identified with Christ, following a holy life? And the context of that is in this world, where he has put us. So let's look at these and introduce these this afternoon. Today I want to look at these opening verses and find these features. We're going to look throughout the rest of the book uh, to see some of these again. Next week we'll begin to dig in a little bit deeper with some of these, with some of these truths. First, our identity is grounded in the nature and the person of the Trinity. The 
to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling of his blood. A few verses after this, Peter says that God has caused us to be born again, to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter 2, Peter says we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And then he says we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possessions. And then in chapter 4 he says we are stewards of God's very graces. The flock of God. Identity seemed to be an important element for Peter. Perhaps this is because he struggled so badly with that while he walked with Jesus. In one event in Peter's life, he was walking on water towards Jesus in a raging storm. And in the next moment, he was sinking. In another moment, Christ honored him by naming him the rock, Cephas, and declaring that the church be built on the power of his testimony that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And a few days later, as I said earlier, Jesus looked at him and said, Get behind me, Satan. On the evening that Jesus was arrested, Peter swore to never leave Jesus, even die if necessary. He pulled out his dagger and attacked an entire cohort of Roman soldiers only to cower in fear. A few minutes later, as a little girl asked him if he knew Jesus, he cursed as he denied his Lord. Peter struggled with knowing who he was. I think Peter understood those he was writing to did as well. Both those in these five cities named and you and I as readers of this divinely inspired and authoritative text. Peter calls them elect exiles. Those two terms almost seem to contradict one another. As God's elect, they are gathered together. They are chosen. They are unified. They are one. But as exiles, they are outcast, pushed aside. They are rejected. And all of this in their own hometown. This means that Peter most likely is writing to an audience primarily made up of Gentile Christians. Peter's emphasis, especially here as he addresses his readers, is that they find their final identity in God. One commentator from about 200 years ago, about two centuries ago, writes this about these opening verses. Such is the apostle's description of the spiritual state character, and circumstances of those whom he addressed. They are selected by God according to his own sovereign purpose and spiritually set apart for him, that believing the gospel they may enjoy all the blissful results of the death of Jesus 
just one in the room of the in room of the unjust. Peter knew both experientially and now even more intimately as the Holy Spirit inspired his writing. Peter knew that our final and ultimate identity is not in ourselves. It's in Christ. Friends, we know there is a dangerous teaching in our culture and in our churches telling us to find ourselves, to find our true identity, to make the you that you want to be. Peter warns of these false teachers in 2 Peter chapter 2 when he says, Bold and willfully, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. This teaching has led to disastrous results. I know we've all heard this before, but it bears repeating over and over and over again. The unregenerate human heart is the last leader that we should follow. Follow your heart is the worst advice we can give anybody. Jeremiah chapter 7, the prophet writes this, For in the day that I brought them, the Israelites, out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to their fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices, but this command I gave them, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ears, but walked in their own counsels, and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backwards, not forwards. Jeremiah would continue in Jeremiah 17, saying, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately sick. Who can know? The reformers called our hearts idol factories. Our identities cannot come from within. We cannot make it up as we see fit or at the whims and desires of the moment. No, you cannot change your gender. No, you cannot sleep with whoever you want to. No, you cannot make up your own theology. No, you do not get your own God on your own terms with your own unique revelation. And no, you cannot make up your own reality and become another species. Elves are not real. Fairies are not real. Conspiracy theories, or at least most of them aren't real, although some of them may be getting closer and closer. But even if they are, even if they are, God is still God, and your identity, if you are a Christian, is still found in the truth that you have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know to most of the world, that sounds like a fairy tale too, that God would take the form of a man, live a perfect life, and die as a substitute for his sinful creation and then raise again to save him. And that this is his eternal plan. In other words, God did. 
did not step back and figure things out when humanity went off the deep end. Now, this was his foreordained plan from the foundation of the world. Your identity was set as a child of God before, before God said, let there be light. And this is where Peter starts. But he goes on throughout these two letters by telling and then demonstrating for us that our new identity requires a new nature. And that's the second thing I want us to see throughout this book. And that nature is one of holiness. Is one of holiness. First Peter chapter 1 verse 15 is the most explicit of these commands. Where Peter writes, as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. He's referring back to, to Leviticus uh, chapter 19. But I want us to notice here. Today, just by way of introduction, Peter connects our holiness to our conduct. We might remember Jesus' words in John's Gospel when he says, If you love me, obey my commands. <coughs> holiness of heart, holiness of nature, is always connected in the Bible with lifestyle and life priorities. Peter will empathize with us when he says in 2 Peter, or 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Remember those two words. That's the way the ESV translated. translates it. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Wage war against your soul. Peter also connects being holy in conduct to submission to the governing authorities of the land. In chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Peter does not say that we have to agree with every word from our governmental leaders, but we do have to submit. Anarchy and holiness are incompatible. Peter demonstrated this truth very early in his ministry in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 4 verse 19 and 20 when he and John are speaking to the Sanhedrin and the Bible says, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. Peter and John are saying in essence to these leaders, if you are going to throw us in jail for preaching, then we submit to your power to do that. We will not resist, but we are not going to, we are not, but we are going to preach whether you command us to stop or not. For Peter, holiness also lives in the home. We're going to find a full section where in essence he says, if you want to be holy, then husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. But there's more. 
This is Peter's admonition in 1 Peter chapter 2. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you, you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. To be holy is who we are in Christ. To live in holiness is our every single day, every single moment of every single day, following Him, following Christ. We are identified with Christ, and we are to imitate Christ. Indeed, the Apostle Paul says that we are to be conformed to Christ in His holiness. But there's one more area that I'll mention today that points toward holiness in the life of a believer. And that is in the local church. In 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter addresses pastors. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He tells pastors to exercise oversight, willingly and not for greedy gain, he says, but as examples to the flock. And the one virtue Peter makes most of is that pastors are to clothe yourselves, he says, all of you, with humility. For Peter, and for the New Testament, holiness and humility are close akin to one another. The first point of this book is concerned with our identity being fully found in the person of Christ in his death and in his resurrection. The second point is that because our identity is in Christ, our lifestyle should reflect his, his in holiness in all of our conduct. But finally, Peter answers for us the question about where all of this is to take place. And somewhat shockingly, especially when we get into the text and look closely at it, Peter says we are to live in Christ, like Christ, right where he has placed us. We are to be Christians in our homes and in our home towns. Yes, we are exiles in our own city. We are sojourners in this world. I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 a few moments ago. Different translations render those words a little bit differently. Some say that we are aliens. Others say that we are immigrants. Some say that we are pilgrims or strangers. Temporary residents. We are foreigners in this world. All of these indicate that this world is our home, but it is our temporary home. We live here. We live holy lives here that will likely lead to our suffering here. But we live here as obedient residents of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. We are not called to save our nation, our culture, our civilization, our heritage, our constitution, or our community. We are called to advance 
the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. Peter tells us how to live in this world, even with the enemy present. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, he says, Be sober-minded. It'll be a while, but I can't wait till we dig into these two words. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Beloved, Peter says we are walking through the hunting grounds of the devil. And we must be sober-minded. We must be watchful. We are not to talk to the devil or his demons. We are not to consort with them. We are not called to listen to them, believe them. We are called to resist them. How? Peter says by being firm in our faith. What faith are we firm in? The faith in knowing that our identity is in Christ and our lives are marked by His holiness. I'm excited about this book. I'm looking forward so much to learning and growing in holiness and the holiness of Christ study 1 Peter and later we'll study 2 Peter. I'll tell you up front, there's some difficult passages in this short letter. There's some things, there's some difficult truths in this letter. There are some commands that will be difficult for us to obey in this letter. I know though that we will be for the better as we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God as he does his work in his church and in the lives of the sheep of his flock. I know it's New Year's Day. So today I pray that we will resolve to live in Christ, in holiness, in this world for his glory. I'm closing today with Psalm 11. Psalm 11. In this psalm we find a prayer of deep contrast between the dealings of God with the righteous versus his dealings with the wicked. I pray as we close today we find ourselves in a posture of repentance and faith towards the God of all holy. Listen to the words of the Lord from Psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mouth? For behold, the wicked bend their bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string. To shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. The foundations are destroyed. What can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates.
angels on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Father, this afternoon we thank you for an introduction to this book. I know we've not even began to scratch the surface. There is so much here. <clears throat> so many ways that you have spoken to us through the Apostle. So much for us to learn, so much for us to grow into, so much for us to do, to be obedient, to be holy in all of our conduct. But today, Father, I pray that you would just give us this moment. Yes, it's at the beginning of the year, and it's a time when often we are reflecting anyway, but give us this moment of reflecting to know that our identity is in you. That as a Christian, we are called to be Christ-like. That means to be holy. And we're to do that in this world, in this difficult world, knowing that our enemy is, is prowling around, looking, looking for those he may devour. So give us a sober heart and a watchful mind. Give us a repentant heart and a believing mind to know that we are yours. To know that you have called us before the foundation of the world. The Holy Spirit has set us aside, has sanctified us. And Father, we are cleansed by the strengthening of the blood of Christ. So Father, as we begin to dig into this word over the next few weeks, I would just pray that you would, you would pierce our hearts with your truth. You would draw us closer to you. And that we would be faithful every day to live a holy life before you. Father, if we realize that we do not have a relationship with you, I would pray that you would begin to call us to you now. To call us with that effectual calling that leads us to a place of repentance and belief. That we may know you and know you eternally. That you will be our God and we will be your people. So Father, I would pray for the redemption of the lost. Those that we know. Those that we may even be. That your word would penetrate our hearts, not return void draw us to you. Father, we thank you for what you've done in the past year through this church. We are excited about what you will do in this church for the next year and the years to come. So keep us in the center of your will. Use us for the advancement of your kingdom. May we glorify you in everything. May everything we do, including this prayer, be made in the name of Jesus. 